but they're resilient if they're given the tools and supports to be resilient. You can't just say for some, for most kids, there's always exceptions, but for most kids, they need a little bit of support before you send them out to do something new. Welcome to today's podcast episode. This is a must-listen conversation for absolutely any parent or carer out there. I say it's a must-listen chat because I think sometimes it's just really nice to hear from someone who we often put on a pedestal in terms of, you know, going, oh my gosh, my doctor is so intelligent. They are so wise. They must just have all of the answers. And yes, My guest today is a doctor who has some answers for us, but Dr. Catherine Hackman is also just a mum. And I know just a mum sounds awful, but it's actually so refreshing to speak with a doctor that is a parent who is willing to just put her hand up and say, you know what? I have struggled as well in terms of knowing how to best support my anxious child. Dr. Catherine speaks with me about a variety of topics and we had a really long conversation and truthfully, I could have kept speaking with Dr. Catherine. We have actually since been in touch and she's just a wonderful person to actually have on speed dial for a multitude of reasons. But our conversation ended up going for about an hour. So I've decided to release the conversation over two podcast episodes I know that so many of you right now who do have children will be juggling the school holiday period and maybe you're not listening to this in real time, but if you are, I thought it would be nice for you to be able to digest it into two separate episodes because there's a lot to consider here. Having a child who presents to be anxious can be really, really tricky There's this fine line between wanting to support them, but also knowing that you can't provide unrealistic scaffolding. And we get into it in our chat. We cover a variety of things. As I said, we touch on separation anxiety, daycare drop-off anxiety, when we feel guilty and responsible, how hard it can be to advocate for our child how to explain anxiety, what the difference is between having some anxious thoughts over things like going to the dentist or the doctor versus actual anxiety with a capital A. So Dr. Catherine is the founder of the Courageous Kids app. She's a mum of two and a practicing medical doctor. She knows firsthand the heartbreak of having a child struggle with anxiety and the work that goes along into supporting them. Catherine believes that no child should go without the emotional support that they need, but many parents simply don't know where to start. So Dr. Catherine, as she explains in our episode today and also later on in the week, explains that she created the Courageous Kids app to empower parents with the practical tools that they need to set their children up for success. So, Even if you don't have your own kids, I think that you will still enjoy this episode and still be able to take certain things away from it. Um, You know, you might be reflecting on your own childhood, perhaps. So 
let's get into part one of my conversation with Dr. Catherine Hackman. Just quickly, a word from today's sponsors. Unless, of course, you're one of our Venti members. In that case, there are no ads and your episode is about to keep playing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Catherine, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have a chat with me about anxiety and about how we can really support our kids. Thank you so much, Kylie. It's great to be here. I feel like so many parents are going to tune in for this episode because Anytime I bring up anxiety, separation anxiety, my little boy who I say all the time is incredibly sensitive and empathetic and all of those things, I am inundated with direct messages from parents who are just like, yep, hard relate. This is my life. Like my whole life is trying to scaffold my child and support my child and I don't know what I'm doing. And I think it's such a common experience. And I would love to know why the app? Like what's the inception story? Sure. Um, So I have one of those kids as well who probably in retrospect has been anxious from the day he was born, you know, didn't sleep well, found drop-offs very tricky. I mean, I, I avoided dropping him most places. We don't really do babysitters. It's all just in that too hard basket. Um, And that was fine when he was, I mean, as fine as it can be when he was little and society doesn't have expectations and I was allowed to stay at childcare until he was ready for me to go. But as he got older, I was looking and it wasn't just, you know, he wasn't growing out of it. Um, I wanted to look for other ways that I could support him because having an anxious child is awful for the child themselves, but it actually takes a toll on the whole family. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Because you just, as a parent, you want to take it away from your Mm -hmm. child. And I think sometimes parents who have experienced anxiety are able to tap into more empathy and to understand that it's not a choice. Whereas parents perhaps who haven't experienced it for themselves might feel really frustrated with the situation and lack that bit of patience or lack that you know, ability to communicate and help their child through it. And I think sometimes we just feel a bit lost. Like we can see there's a problem, but we're not really sure what to do. And there's so much conflicting advice. You know, there's everything from drop and go, rip off the bandage to, you know, you just cushion them and you should homeschool. I mean, there's such, there's such a spectrum, isn't there? And I guess for me, you know, I'm a doctor. I believe in prevention over cure, and if I can't get prevention, I want early intervention. So I went in early. So when I I could see that this was not just going to be a brief thing or just a phase, I really wanted some extra supports. And um, I'm busy, like you, and I didn't really want to wade through lots of self-help type books. You're very well read and I'm not. And I just wanted a solution and I wanted it fast. (laughs) So, you know, 
having my background, I went to a paediatrician. The wonderful thing about having a great paediatrician is they have a ton of supports and contacts. And from there, um, I met, um, you know, you can go, you can be referred to an OT or a speech pathologist or a child psychologist. They all deal with child anxiety, which, which I hadn't known before, before being on the journey. Um, and the other interesting thing is that all these specialists who are wonderful um, use pretty much similar strategies to calm the worries. And so for me, it was about what skills can I learn to support my child? So with your little one in particular, what was the way that anxiety would present? So it was it was about separations. So separating for sleep, separating for preschool drop-off. Um, I guess I have to say I avoided a lot of other separations, you know, when you can go to the gym or go to the pool and you can leave your child in childcare and get your exercise done. I didn't even try and do that. Um, but it was around separation for us. And did you feel like you experienced judgment from other parents or perhaps carers because you weren't, I guess, I, I say pushing through in quotes, yeah. but I just, I ask this question, Catherine, because I've certainly had the experience of feeling like I am like the one in the wrong for totally. trying to gently totally. look after my son and to the point where sometimes I even think maybe I was in the yeah. wrong, maybe I wasn't doing the right thing for him. And I have had those moments where I go, oh my gosh, maybe this is all my fault. Oh. But then but then I also have the, uh, the rationale, I guess, to zoom out and go, well, I've got identical twins <laughs> and one is this way and one is that exactly. way. Like it can't, it can't be exactly. all nurture. Exactly. You know, and that is really comforting because I'm like, these two kids are wildly different. Like one is quite independent, will happily head off on sleepovers, yep. bye, mum, yep. love you, see you later. He will happily go upstairs and shower on his I've own. I've got one like and that got, and I've got one that's the opposite. A, yep. Exactly. And, I think and these two are identical. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're lucky to have more than one child because I think if that's your experience, you know, with your first child and maybe your only child, it's very easy to doubt yourself and think, is this an anxious child or am I an anxious parent or am I doing something wrong? Um, and no, our little people are born with temperaments and they're born with little personalities um, and that might just be how they are. And I think it's our job as parents to support them. And you used a word really early on about scaffolding. Um, and I think that's what's, what it's about. It's knowing your child's temperament, what works for them, um, and then accommodating whatever those needs are. So for my confident little ones, I could drop and grow. And he did cry at the very first drop off, but I knew he was safe and he was well prepared and I knew it was the right thing to go because he's a little negotiator and I thought that it would not be smart to get into negotiations with him. And then the second morning he said, do you think I'm going to cry this morning? And I said, I think you are going to feel sad because it's hard when mum goes, but I actually think that even though you feel sad, you're going to be brave and you're going to be okay. And he didn't cry from then onwards. But I would never have done that with my first child not because I was an anxious mum, but because he's wired differently and I would have broken his trust, not just in me, but in the system. And so I think when it comes to separation anxiety, it's not just about being in a new place. It's about who, who am I being left with and do I have a relationship with them and can I trust them? And so 
in the younger years, we had beautiful preschool teachers um, who really allowed me and welcomed me to stay until he felt ready. And the funny thing is, when you do that for a child, you very rapidly gain their trust because you're not trying to tear their mother away from them or their father. And trust is built quickly. And then, you know, he came up to me after not that long and said, you can go now, which is what happened on first day of school, which I can get to later. Um, So no, I think um, stand your ground, parents. Um, If you feel like you know what's right for your child, I mean, that's a whole conversation in itself that I've had to upskill on a lot, Kylie. Um, And it's something I love talking about because as mums, we are usually the good girl. We usually want to do the right thing. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be seen as difficult or asking for something special. And so for me, I have always taken the easy road. So if that meant not speaking up at work and working a bit extra or doing more than my share or staying back, I would usually choose that rather than doing anything that felt even close to confrontational. But becoming a mum for me was the first time where I had to choose between it was my child who would take the hit, not me, versus do I go through that discomfort of speaking up. And so I had to find that in myself. And I have to say I've got a lot better with time, but I, to be honest, I don't think it gets easier with time. I'm just sitting here nodding away because I think even from the moment we have a baby, and I, I say we and I'm speaking in broad terms, but just anecdotally I know a lot of women who have had this experience where you have a baby and you think that you're going to naturally know exactly what to do, but then you find yourself in these, these situations where you are deferring to people who have mm. qualifications that are different to your qualifications And it's really hard, like you said, to rock the boat and say, well, hang on, I hear you and I respect you and I understand you, but I'm having a different feeling. Like it's really hard to do that. It's hard to do that just, you know, on average, like some people struggle just to send a coffee back if it's the wrong order, let alone, yeah, (laughs) let alone to actually say to someone, no, I you know, I understand you've got 10 years of experience working in uh-huh. childcare, but this this isn't going to work for my yeah. child. It's so hard to do that. <laughs> I, think so. I think there's two things, Kylie. I think, number one, we hate being typecast. And it's so easy to be typecast. You know, for me, I'm a doctor. So I'm the type A anxious mother over controlling. For you, it might be, you know, something, you know, you know what you want. You've got your own podcast you know, you stand your ground, you're being difficult again, you know, whatever. And I guess we bring our own baggage to how we think we're being typecast as well. Um, But that's one part. And then I think on the other part is, and yet, and yet, you are in that privileged position of knowing your child so intimately. And although there's a lot of general experience out there, you are the expert on your child. Yeah, definitely. I I think that for sure. And like I think back to, you know, school drop-offs with my little one who really struggled to separate from me. And it sounds like we had a similar journey. Like I tried to go with a daycare center, but it just wasn't working. There was too much, you know, change and disruption happening, high changeover of staff. I always felt like I was a nuisance, all of that sort of stuff. Staff changeover yeah. is like, we can talk about that as well. That is so hard. And again, the typecasting, I 
so hear you. And I did struggle at times to find my voice. And then when I would find my voice, it was like I'd been pushed so far that it came out like not even sounding like me because it's like I've kept it in for so long. But we ended up going with a family daycare provider and it was a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, he still struggled at drop-offs. Yes, her advice still was for a quicker drop-off. But because there was trust there that he would have the same care each time, it was different. So I think, I guess what I'm getting at here is I think it is important to also highlight that a daycare carer or anyone can say a quick drop-off is good. And a quick drop-off could be good, but there might be other elements at play here. It's not like, oh, a quick quick drop-off is good across the board because it's like, it, it is good if the child knows what to expect yeah. and if the child is going to bounce back quickly yes. and it is good if you have faith that you're going to get communication. But saying it's just like the good One across the board. One size all is just yeah, inappropriate. It's a disservice, it? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, agree. Agree completely. So I guess my pathway to through all of this was I I do have an anxious child and I was keen to work out the strategies that I could put in place to help him. So yes, I'm still he's still going to need to go to preschool and he's still going to need to go to school, but what can I do to support him to be ready to walk through that door? Um and that's when I started looking around and looking for practical solutions. What can I do um to support to support my kids? And actually what I do for my confident kid and my more worried kid is the same because I don't know any kids who don't benefit from a bit of preparation before change is upon them. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, preparation and I think understanding that kids thrive when there is predictability and consistency. Like just understanding, particularly for toddlers and young children, when they have the ability to safely predict the outcome, they are more at ease. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they don't ask for much. Like we as grown-ups, with all our supports and resources, we look for predictability. I mean, I'm going to Google before I go somewhere for the first time. I'm going to check the route. I'm going to know what it looks like. I'm going to check how long it's going to take me to get there. If I start a new job, I'm going to know who my boss is and I'm going to check out who my new workmates are. Why wouldn't we provide the same for our kids? Why do we just, I think there's this common, very happy misconception that kids are resilient and to an extent that they are resilient, but they're resilient if they're given the tools and supports to be resilient. You can't just say, for, some, for most kids, there's always exceptions, but for most kids, they need a little bit of support before you send them out to do something new. As a medical doctor, I'm so interested to know, how do you explain anxiety in a child? Like, how do you explain it to parents, but also how do you explain it to the child themselves? Um, do you know what? I don't that much. I just, I see it all... Well, okay, to go to step back, we all have worries 
And being anxious is one of the many emotions we all feel probably every day. Um, And where it becomes a diagnostic thing of child anxiety is where it is pervasive and persistent and interfering with doing regular daily activities and interfering with, with life. And if you have a child who you feel that they have true anxiety, then you should go and get help for them. Um, The waiting time, unfortunately, is really long um, to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, um, even though, anyway, the waiting times are long. It's even harder if you're in a rural environment. But I would say that there's a lot of kids who just have dated. I mean, being anxious about certain situations is very common. You know, our kids haven't done lots of things ever for the first time. You know, there's going to be a first time for starting preschool or daycare. There's going to be a first time for starting school. There's going to be a first time for seeing the dentist. That's not anxiety with a capital A, you know, medical disorder diagnosis. That's just normal, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. Um, And so I think there's a lot we can do, you know, with that I think there's a lot we can do to minimise and normalise and reduce the extent of the worries for those children. And that's what I'm quite interested in. So tell me how you do this. Well, you're going to laugh because when it's pretty straightforward. You prepare your child for what's going to happen. And the trick about it is you prepare it, you prepare them in an age-appropriate way. So What I used to do was explain things on our way to places about what would happen with me in the driver's seat of the car and the kids in the back, and it didn't work um, because kids are visual learners. And so what I've learned from the experts in this field who are the child psychologists and the OTs and the speech paths is they've got a few few tricks up their sleeves, which I have learned. Um, So the first two that I find really helpful both involve visual prompts. So the first is stories. So I make stories for my kids to explain what's going to happen. So one of the first stories I made when my littlest was two and my eldest was three was I was going interstate for a conference. I was getting on a plane, going to Darwin. And so I made them a story that mummy would be away for a few days. And the important things about making stories is I call them explanatory stories. There is a formal way of doing stories called social stories, which has 10 key criteria They're a bit bland, but there is a a whole science of social stories. In Australia, we call them social scripts. But basically, it's a story to explain what's going to happen or reflect on events or celebrate a success. And I find those incredibly helpful, not just because I'm conveying information, but I find the whole process of you make a story from your child's point of view, you include pictures of them, either illustrations or I use photos as well, You sit your child on your lap and you talk through and you pause when they pause and you follow their gaze and you see what conversations arise and you discuss the worries or whatever comments as you go. And it's such a personal experience and such a nurturing and lovely experience for your child and such a moment of lovely connection. Um, They are my top of the tree go-to. So stories. So you make a physical book and create a story for them. Is that correct? So what I used to do was make them just on a Word document and it took me ages um, and I'd find and I'd upload photos or I'd just, you know, for that going away, I'd search Google and found a picture of an aeroplane and and did a map of Australia and showed where I'd go. Um, and then I started, then my friends wanted stories for their kids about starting preschool and school and it all just got too hard in Word. And so I made an app, Kylie, just I don't know why, but I made an app because I thought I would, 
let other parents use what what I do. And that means that anyone can rapidly just customise this library of story to their own kids so that they can put in their child's cartoon and, you know, an image of themselves and their partner and whoever else is important in that child's orbit. Um, and you can also upload your own photographs because the point is it needs to be really personalised to the child. It's all very well for child A, for Tommy, to hear that Jane is going to go to school, but that's fine for Jane, but that's not going to help Tommy go to school. So you want the story to be from the child's perspective and completely to resonate with them and so that you're building familiarity. You know, it's all like, oh, yes, 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 yes. And they can imagine how it might, how they might feel in that scenario. I'm glad that you said you've built the app with that functionality to allow parents to do that because as you were talking about building the story, I was like, that sounds wonderful. And I am someone who does have more time than the average mother because I work from home and I I say I work around the kids, but the truth is I collapse around <laughs> the kids. I'm forever just trying to fold my life in around them. Um, but I was thinking, I don't have time yeah. for that. Like, like you're talking and I'm like, yeah, that's lovely, but I don't have time for that. You're so right. So I think it's really so, – You know, I when I took really my kids to um to the speech path and she was the one who told me, you know, just, just – I hate that word – just do this. So we'd have an hour speech path session and it costs a bomb, let's be honest, and it was super helpful. But at the end of it, she gave me homework. Just make a story. I was like, are you kidding me? I mean – I'm working. I've got these two little kids. I'm juggling everything that goes around the scaffolding an anxious child. And now you want me to make a story. And let's, that, they've got a shelf life of maybe 10 reads. So I would spend an hour or two hours easy making the story because the words have to be just right. And you want it really succinct. Because the other thing about a story is that it cuts out all the waffle, unlike the chat in the car on the way to the place. It's really sharp. You might have 10 pages to get your message across. And that's really important not to have the waffle, but just to cut to the chase. And so it takes time to come up with the right words. Um, and so I said to this speech pathologist, after I'd done my homework and sort of found it agonizing, who, who does this homework? Like it's great in theory, but I am fully invested I'm educated, I understand explaining concepts to people because that's my day job every day, and this is a burden. And she said, the speech path said, oh, no one does their homework, we just recommend it. <laughs> Type A personality, you were like, I will do this to the letter, it will be perfect. But sometimes it's I would do it to the letter and I'd spend so much energy writing the damn story that there was no time or energy left to read it to the kid. Like it's. <laughs> It's funny though, Catherine, because even as you're speaking, I'm like, that's, you know, that's a wonderful kind of pie in the sky idea of to create these stories and blah, 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 but who has the time? But then the other side of me goes, well, actually so much time and energy goes into supporting an anxious mm -hmm. kid anyway. Mm -hmm. Maybe this does take up time and it does take up effort, but what if you're circumnavigating everything else that goes along with it? Because when you do have a child that is anxious, particularly surrounding separating, mm. bedtimes drag out, mm. school drop-offs drag out. There's this 
hyper vigilance yeah. that you have as a parent yes. always waiting for something to yeah. go wrong. So it's funny because as you're talking, there's like half of me that's like, gosh, who has the time? And I'm so glad we've got the app now because people can yeah. do it. But then the other half of me is like, well, no, hang on. Having an anxious kid is time consuming. And so often, you know, I was going to say burden, I'll say the honor, the responsibility falls on the mother. Oh, no, it's a burden and it falls on the mother. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Totally. Because I think for many reasons, and I know you know many of those reasons, but also because when we were growing up, we might have had a little bit more of that extended to us than some of the dads out there. I think a lot of dads even more than a lot of mums, grew up with the suck it up, you'll be right, don't be, you've got nothing to cry about kind of mentality more than us mums and so they haven't even got something to anchor to or to replicate whereas perhaps we had some of the gentler language ourselves when we were growing up. Um, I also think just circling back, I do think you're right. I think you're going to spend, if you've got an anxious child, you're going to spend the time either way. And it is so much more productive to spend it up front. And it also, by doing that process of reading, it, I mean, the art and craft process of making the story helps no one. But I think the process of reading the story to your child is really nurturing and really beneficial. And it really gives your child that feeling that mum or dad or grandma, whoever's reading the story, has got my back and they are willing to hear my worries and talk them through and we will find a solution together. And it's a re- oh sorry. I was just going to say and the other re- so so the thing that um I'm quite keen on is sharing the workload in the house, especially the emotional work. And so once I'd written enough of these stories and was sharing them with my friends and and decided to turn them into an app so anyone could use them, um they've all been vetted by they've all been gone over and changed and adapted by a leading child psychologist because I wanted them to be literally word perfect. And so it's funny because when I first heard the word social script, which is the Australian term for a social story, I was like, what do you mean a script? I'm not going to tell my child what to say. And then there's, you know, in the autism world stuff about masking. And I just thought script was a terrible word, but actually it's not a script for the children. It's a script for the parents. So by reading this story word for word, you are strengthening the relationship with the child and explaining what can happen and anyone can do it, not just mum. Yeah, so good. It's a tool that everyone can use. And it's interesting because as I've said a million times, I definitely have a very anxious child who struggles a lot and I'm forever trying to find out how I can support him and how I can scaffold him and do all of the things. And I do carry that burden. You know, he's meant to be off to school camp tomorrow, <gasps> Catherine. Oh my gosh. And I don't know, like, I don't know how he's going to go. And there, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's really, really tricky because he wants to go. He wants to try And so I want him to go and I want him to try because that's what he wants to do. And I understand the wheels are probably going to come off, but I also want to vote for him that he can do it because I think it's important that he knows I believe in him. And anyway, that's definitely a tangent and we can delve into that a bit more. But there's so much brain power that goes into thinking about how to help a child that has anxiety 
And I certainly exchange stories with both of my kids. I tell them about times that I've been in a similar situation. I talk them through what to expect. I talk to them about what's the most likely outcome. Like there's all of these things that I do, but I've never heard of the terminology like to do a social script or to have that story where you make them the main character in a story and put it through their eyes, which I think is really, really fascinating because, gosh, we've spent so much money and so much time with children's psychologists and I've read so many books and, you know, uh, yeah, Um, but but I haven't tried this with my kids because I wasn't aware that this was something to do. I just think that unless you are in that field yourself, so I think a lot of teachers know about these and then the allied health professionals, but as regular mums, even as a medical mum, I had never heard of these tools and yet they're they're out there and helpful. It makes so much sense though because when we think about what a child needs to feel loved and safe and accepted, it's representation as well, right? Mm. Like, so representation matters and how much more could they feel represented if they're actually the character that these things are happening to? So I completely get it. And even if you but think about then, those crappy, oh, sorry to say it that way, but you know, those quite um, schmaltzy, um, you know, where you send off and you get a personalized story with your child's name in it. And they're usually pretty badly written and they're like, something cute for Father's Day or something. And kids love them. They love them. It's like having a T-shirt with your own name on them. And so when I would write these stories and print them out on my regular printer at home and they look pretty, you know, scrappy just on Microsoft Word, they would hold them, they would take them into preschool. There was a time where um, my little one was left in the sand pit. A girl said that she was coming back and he waited and she never came back. And I said on the way home, would you like to make a story when I feel lonely at kinder? And he said, yes, yes, yes. So we went home and I made him a little story, you know, what can I do when I feel lonely at kinder? And he wanted to take it with him the next day to school, to kinder. Um, So there's something very empowering about seeing yourself in a story, but also having gone through in advance and having strategies, even if it doesn't matter if you're two or 22, but just knowing what you're going to do. And I guess that's what we do for ourselves. We give ourselves a little pep talk. Say you're going to a party alone. You're like, who's going to be there? What if they're not there? What if they are there? We have little strategies in our head. Why wouldn't we do it for our kids? Absolutely. And I imagine that along the way throughout this journey of creating the app and having conversations with, I'm sure, countless parents, I imagine you do have people at times who probably push back and say, well, if you do that, for your child, you're setting them up to fail because what happens when the script doesn't go as planned or, you know, are you going to spend your life writing a script for every single thing that they're going to go through? You're making your kids soft. I hope you have enjoyed part one with Dr. Catherine. Stay tuned for part two. It will be available for you this week on Friday. Make sure you are subscribed to the podcast if you're not already. If you subscribe to the podcast, if you follow the podcast, you'll automatically receive notifications when new episodes drop. And if you're anything like me, that is actually ultra handy because I tend to forget things from one day to the next, as I'm sure you already know. But as I said, I hope you've enjoyed part one of our conversation 
In part two, we head on to answer that question about are we then making our children less resilient by providing that extra scaffolding? We talk about the cognitive load on kids when it comes to their school day and everything that they're going through. We also talk about seeking a diagnosis when it might be a little bit more than what's first presented. I know I've certainly had that experience with both of my kids where I've gone, oh, maybe I need to explore something a little bit more. There's a lot of great stuff coming for you in part two. So definitely tune into that one. I've also included links in our show notes to the Courageous Kids app. Dr. Catherine will talk more about the app in part two, but it's certainly worth jumping over and checking out. The app does come with a free seven-day trial as well. So the links are in the show notes. You can also follow the Courageous Kids Instagram. Again, the link is in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, I know that it would mean the world to Dr. Catherine if you slide into her DMs and let her know. And of course, let me know as well. It's always so helpful for me to know what episodes land with you, what are helpful, um, all of that stuff. All right, stay tuned for part two. Today's podcast episode was recorded on the land of the Bunjalung Nation. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.